Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, co-host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined by Carrie from a remote location today. In Hi, ears. How are you? In all of her yeah. in all of her cat eared glory. I splurged on these. I don't they were four dollars. I spent the four bucks. And uh, they were worth a lot more, honestly. Obviously. <laughs> the amount of, I think that's the amount of joy they're giving me. <laughs> um, How are you? I'm I'm well. I just want to don't I'm not gonna I'm gonna start not forgetting to say Welcome to the show. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. If you can't support us financially, just subscribing really helps uh, on YouTube. And uh, if you want to support us financially, you can go to unsafespace.com slash donate, which will link you to either Subscribestar, or you can use PayPal now, which is on there. Or if you don't like fiat currency, I I feel you. You can use Bitcoin and Ether. And uh, yeah. Thank you guys for, for all the support you've given us, and we have a lot of content in the can that's going to be coming out um, because yes, our community has been We supporting. have a lot. Yeah. We have about eight or nine videos in the can. I forget at this point. We um, yeah. we just released an interview with Casey Peterson. If you haven't seen it, it was on our, our show called Deprogrammed, which is specifically about untangling social justice ideology. Casey Peterson is the... I don't know if you'd call him a whistleblower, but he's the guy at Sandia Labs who's pushing back against the critical race theory that's being pushed on all the government employees there, especially on the white men who are being called out to do these um, like racist, sexist indoctrination uh, struggle sessions. <laughs> and that was he's amazing. You guys need to watch that interview, especially if you are someone who is struggling with social justice ideology in your workplace or in your church or your uh, hobby group or your kid's school and figuring out how to push back against it. He is a modern day hero. I was really he, he inspired He also by has him. like um, templates for people to use to write congressmen and to do that kind of stuff. He's got resources he's developing, which is great. Um, so yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah. Carrie, don't worry about your spend on your ears. Kenton Newfortruck just got you covered. He just sent you 399. Carrie Frivality Fund. <laughs> Nothing to say. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Love you. to all. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> oh, it says I have an echo. It says you have an echo? Yeah. People say I have an echo. Oh. I don't hear the echo. Hmm. Let me see. Do, do, do. I'm not sure how you could have an echo. Exactly. Okay. Here, let me mute myself and talk, and then people can tell us if you have an echo. Okay, you guys, am I still echoing? This is the the fun times that you get on a live show. Is it still echoey with Carter muted? That might help him figure out what the problem is. Um, nobody said yet, so the echo seems to be fixed. Someone says, "Text so, Tara." Thank you, text Tara. But now someone says, "Yes, it's echoey." Mild echo. I don't know what to do about this crap here. I'm going to do this. I'm going okay. to turn you down in the mixer in case there's some weird thing happening that I don't understand in the mixer, and I'm going to turn you up in my ear, and we're going to hope that those two things help. Uh, all right. Someone wants you to sing for them. Carrie, go ahead. I'm not a good singer, although I like singing. Um, I just would like to report, I've been on a little bit of a road trip, and my fellow's been playing some gigs, and... 
he hustled to get a lot of gigs because all of his gigs were canceled. So he basically booked himself, rebooked himself at places that are still having music. And I've been able to see Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, and Colorado. I had seen Colorado before. I would say Wyoming and Montana are amazing. I know we've talked about a place to move for that's not tainted with wokeness yet. I don't know how they keep it a secret up here, how it's beautiful, first of all. And I know in the winter it would get very cold. It's beautiful, but people just seem on the whole to be very normal and going about their jobs and not woke. Uh, like Boulder, Colorado was super woke. I would not go there. Hmm. But I really like Montana and I like Wyoming. I, I'm, I'm so... I'm still perplexed by this weird echo that's happening. Sorry. Why don't I hang up and call back? I don't think that would help. Okay. I actually have no idea why you're echoing. Hold on. You guys, bear with us. I'm going to change something in my... I'm going to make it auto, automatically adjust my microphone settings. Is that better? We'll see. I doubt it's better. I just don't know. I have no idea why there's. I don't know why you would be looping back and echoing. I don't like. I have her in my ear, so there's no reason for an <laughs> echo to happen. Um, and now it says Carter needs to turn up his volume. <laughs> you guys, if it's this, your first you know time, what? This is just going to be. This is a mess. Problem. I we're going to yeah, do this all the, the whole show. I'm just going to leave it. If it's not <laughs> listenable, tell us. If it's listenable, we're just going to deal with the echo. I don't. I'm not going to okay. work with it anymore. I can't, I can't spend the whole show doing tech stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Montana's beautiful. I know uh, I've got a few friends who are in the VC world, uh, and there's, like, secret little – I'm not secret, but there's, like, places that they all go uh, in Montana um, for vacation. There's, like, a ranch there that everyone goes to, and there's, there's some – there's, like, a definitely a – and and they're all a little bit more libertarian minded. These people, they're not like, it's not like leftists going out to their vacations. It's uh, it's all like more libertarian minded people going to Montana. And I had a friend actually just move to Montana. Plus Maria Tuscan, I think is, isn't she planning to go to Montana or something? Um, so, yeah, Montana's gorgeous. Wyoming's, Wyoming. <laughs> I want to like it more than it, I do, but it's fine. It's good. And Idaho's nice, but it's being taken over by. Idaho's being infiltrated is the is the word I hear. Like Boise's been yeah. and and uh yeah. And what's there's the festival there? Is it Sun City? No, that's not it. There's some not festival sure. that happens there. Uh so yeah. Yeah. Carrie. Yep. Uh I saw speaking of Casey Peterson or Sandia National Labs. Uh, I saw a familiar name in an unfamiliar place, and uh, I'm going to share it with you. Uh, I Let me start by saying <clears throat> I'm not much of a sports-watching kind of guy, but I sometimes would watch hockey. You don't say! I know. I'm kidding. I sometimes would watch hockey or or the World Cup. Like, I'll watch the World Cup when it happens every four years. And I used to watch – because I used to play hockey when I was young, and I used to – play soccer when I was young so I guess that makes sense and like I'll sometimes watch hockey my daughter mocks me if I start watching hockey because she's like you're one of those dads I'm like yeah yeah it lasts like a few weeks and then I stop watching it regularly um 
but the NHL has been, <clears throat> as far as major sports leagues, they've been up to now, we'll say the less woke <laughs> of the sports leagues, right? They, they haven't been doing this. <clears throat> but uh, their time has come. Their time has oh. come, unfortunately. And uh, let's just take a look at this press release <clears throat> from the NHL. <sighs> you got to just stop watching sports. It's going to be the summary. So <laughs> for, me, for immediate release. All right. <clears throat> They've decided that they are going to now, with the NHLPA and the NHL, do anti-racism efforts. Uh. Here we go. <clears throat> Here we go. Now, notice who they're hiring. All league employees will participate in an inclusion learning experience conducted by Bill Proudman from White Men as Full Diversity Partners. Do you remember where that is? Oh, yeah. This is they're, they're the people doing the indoctrination at Sandia. They are indeed. <clears throat> they are indeed. Um, <laughs> by the way, my wife is now <laughs> saying, I think when you mute, it was better on the echo. See, no one, everyone's got to help. Um <laughs> So, anyway, uh, yeah. So they're they're hiring uh, these guys who were in Sandia. Now, by the way, talk about grifters. <laughs> I just like some white dudes are like, I know how we can make money off of this whole thing. <laughs> we'll self-flagellate and we'll teach other white males how to flagellate themselves. All right. Um, so the league will work with its longstanding partners as the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, Center for Justice Research. At the club level, level the league will continue to host a series of courageous conversations. Now, of course, they name it a conversation because that's the thing you're not allowed to have. Uh, <laughs> what you're supposed to do is listen, listen, listen. Uh, related to race, equity, diversity, and inclusion, courageous conversations provide a forum where club personnel can delve into subject matters such as privilege, embracing difference, becoming even more of an ally. And unconscious bias, all of our favorite buzzwords, NHL. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The league will also continue to educate our fans and stakeholders. No one likes to be educated by their sports teams uh, <laughs> more than NHL fans. I got to tell you, especially the NHL fans are going to love this. Wait, wait, <laughs> especially moral instruction. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. what this is, is they're trying to, this is their version of Social justice ideology is a kind of a religion, and for some people, it's where they derive their sense of morality. This is a kind of moral instruction. It would be no different than the NHL saying, we're going to educate our fans about Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's much worse than that, I think. I would, I would rather, rather have them educate their Jesus. fans about Jesus Christ, Carrie, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm an atheist. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so they're going to educate you about the importance of anti-racism work. And, uh, you know, that makes me want to watch more NHL games. I don't know about you guys, but I really want to be educated from my entertainment. Um, okay, those leading the cultural... Oh, but you know what? Can I just comment on this really quickly? Because th this is a... You brought this up, and I think it's a good point, Carrie. Uh, this idea that since... Since we no longer have religion, I mean, it's not dead completely, but it's certainly not as popular as it once was. 
since we no longer have uh, religion and the atheist community has not replaced it with anything compelling at all other than like, how about some hedonism or maybe democracy equals morality, uh, which are like the lamest things that you could possibly replace it with. I think a lot of people find meaning from their job. They go to work and instead of going to get a paycheck, like in the olden days, you'd go to work, you'd get a paycheck, you didn't have to have any moral activity, like you didn't have to have push any morals yeah. at work, right? Because you'd, you were home, you'd go home, you'd go to church, you'd have your community functions and you would do your, your, your moral outlet and your sense of meaning came elsewhere. But now no one has any of that. So they're at work like, how do I show that I'm morally good? I, well, I better do it at the NHL. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. And so and then and then they claim it's not political because, well, it's not political. It's just an entire moral framework that dictates your politics. But it's not political. We're not telling you who to vote for. We're just saying anti-racism is the most important thing ever and you should vote. And by anti-racism, we mean, we mean racism. Right, That's yes, what they call, for yeah, anyone who's yeah. new to this channel, they rename everything. They're very Orwellian. And they call, uh, you will see one of the, the people we call the high priests and priestesses of the movement. Somebody in, in a comment to our video the other day was asking, who are some of the high priests and priestesses? Hmm. Well, right now, some of the ones who are the most culturally powerful are Robin DeAngelo and Ibram X. Kendi. They both have... SJW books, cult indoctrination books at the top of the bestseller list. Ibram X. Kendi is one who's done videos on why you, you need to be anti-racist, not not racist. <laughs> and, then he, and then he has a whole video explaining the difference between what's the difference between anti-racist and not racist. And what the difference is, is that anti-racist is the word they use for racism. It means literally treating people differently on the basis of race. They they teach you that we all need to judge people and treat them differently on the basis of race. That when I look at you, I'm supposed to catalog all these different categories you're in, these identity group categories, and I'm supposed to treat you based on what categories you're in as racist. And I don't care if you put a fancy name on it. Apparently, it's putting a name on it and calling it the opposite of what it is is enough to fool a lot of people. But many of us look at your behavior and say, hey, wait a minute, you're just calling treating people differently on the basis of race anti-racism. That's still racist. It doesn't matter what you call it. But that's what they're pushing. This is, I, I, I think this is, well, you know what I think about this, Carter. I think it's disgusting. And, and this needs to be rooted out. Again, going back to that interview with Casey Peterson, I love his confidence. I love how intelligent he is and how he lays out a moral case for opposing this ideology. And that's what we need. We need people making the moral arguments as well as the intellectual arguments. We need people saying, I'm pushing against this because it's racist and it's wrong. And you have to cut it out of your organizations. It needs to be cut out of the NHL. They all say the same things. You mentioned the buzzwords in there. They all say the same things. They all use the same buzzwords because this is a cult and they all speak the same cult language. So you, you, once you've seen it somewhere at Sandia Labs, you can recognize it somewhere else at like the NHL. It doesn't even have to be the same training group. It's going to be, it could be a different SJW training, training group. It's going to be the same language. I can't hear you, Carter. You're muted. I can't hear you. 
There you are. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I yeah. can. All right. Um, I thought I, I think I fixed the echo, but maybe not. Who knows? Okay. Um, yeah, the, the I don't I get that people like Robin D'Angelo and Tanahisi Coates are the high priests and priestesses. Ibram X Kendi is the one I mentioned, sorry, but yes, Tanahisi Coates sorry, is also yeah. one. Um, yeah. I get that, but I I think the the weird thing about this is. And this is one of the only ways that in, in which it's not a cult is I don't the high priests and priestesses are not infallible like the pope like they can be dethroned Correct. very oh, easily Oh totally. Yes. And uh so what that means is so actually what it is is there's a uh if everyone's ideologically aligned, you don't – so, okay, people confuse ideological alignment with uh, conspiracy theories and and top-down orders as if like, yeah. oh, there must be like marching orders. Marching orders right. are necessary if you don't have uh, a lot of ideological alignment and you just kind of have to tell people you do this, you do that, blah, blah, blah. This is how you should react. But if you're all ideologically aligned because you've been programmed through decades of public education and then college, uh, then you're all, as Scott Adams would say, you're all watching the same movie. You're all also kind of acting in the same play. And so when a thing happens, you all intuitively know what the next move is because it yeah. just feels like the right next move. You don't need like a, a puppet master no, you know, there's saying, no you one person. You do that. The the high priests and priestesses are just people who happen to have at this moment have a lot of fame and cultural power in pushing the belief system, but they can change it, and they do often change because that you can never be pure enough. It is a fundamentalist cult, so they will come after the people at the top for any sign of impurity. And you know, we've said this before, but it must be really awful being Robin DeAngelo and sleeping with one eye open, like, when are they going to come get me? <laughs> They're going to find that tweet from yeah. 20 years ago. You know, yeah. you can never be pure enough, and they do change. Plus, the other thing to notice is that if, if you're in a place where this ideology has converged and has infected and is starting to grow, whether it's your church or your company or your or school or a hobby group, there are – these gatekeepers or these high priests and priestesses, these in your small echo chambers, your small ecosystems as well. So for example, I'm in, I'm in an SJW Facebook group for my town, my little town. And there is a high, pri there's a couple of high priests in that group or priestesses. There's a couple of women in that group who everyone it's, it's the people that everyone looks to for, for the final word on the, on how to, what what to say and what to believe so for example whenever they have questions like like there are well-meaning white women in that group a lot of people get pulled into this are well-intentioned white women for some reason um there are a lot of well women well-intentioned white women in that group who will sometimes post videos or articles by black people who do not believe in social justice ideology and they'll ask in good faith i don't understand this why is this black person not speaking the ideology, but I'm willing to shut up and listen, which is what they've been told to do. Shut up and listen to people of color. And then they wait, and then the high priestesses of the in my little group will come in, some of them white, some of them black, 
and they'll proceed to rip that black conservative apart or the black liberal apart or whoever whoever it is that doesn't agree with social justice ideology. They'll rip them apart and then they'll explain. They'll do the mental gymnastics required to try and make it make sense that you don't have to listen to that black person or these black people. They, they're they the ones that people look to to explain the doctrine and to explain the many hypocrisies and the many contradictions in the doctrine. So in your little company, you there's someone you can probably think of off the top of your head right now who's the person people look to, who's the most, the wokest of the woke, right? Who's that in your group? You can name them. I mean, yep. don't, I mean, don't, you don't need to name them, but in your head, you know who those people are. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know that we need to keep going through the, uh, yeah. I don't know that we need to keep going through the, NHL thing because it's more die stuff. There'll be, you know, an executive inclusion council, ick, a player inclusion council, pick, a fan inclusion council, fick, a youth, youth hockey inclusion council. I don't know what that would be. Hick. Anyway, inclusion. they've got a bunch of inclusion councils uh, designed Can to we... exclude you. So something yeah. I saw recently, which I hope this I hope there's a lot of this happening. I saw a picture of a graffiti where on a side, somebody had painted Black Lives Matter. And then a second person had added an O in front of lives. What? So Black Olives Matter. Oh, my. I'm like, that's Black and O Lives? What? Yeah. Black, black Olives Matter. And then... It was funny because I saw it because a social justice person was sharing it and they were really horribly upset and offended. And they were saying, this is how dare you. This is your white, this is white supremacy in action. And I just love that kind of humor because it's so silly and it's so easy. That's a, that's an easy kind of change to assign that kind of pokes fun at the whole idea. And it's not mean. It's just funny. And it, and it really bothers them. <laughs> so I was thinking, I really hope I see more Black Olives Matter <laughs> signs. <laughs> anyway, I think I think humor, pushing back with humor is one of the best things you could do. It's kind of, don't take them, they're, they're laughable. If we don't laugh at them, we just spend so much time being angry at them, and rightly so, because it's very, it's a racist belief system, but, but the humor really is good. That's all. Yeah, I agree. Let's do some super chats. I'm, I've still got technical frustrations going on in the back of my mind. I apologize. I'm trying to focus on content, not technology, but I've, I got the technology genes. I can't, I can't help but like think of what's going on with Echoes. All right. Terra, thank you. Terra says, I wonder how well this will go over with all the Russian players. Oh, yeah. I mean, the NHL, someone, I saw someone in chat say this. The NHL is as white as the NBA is black. Possibly more so, actually. Uh the, the NHL is is very, very uh, white, and obviously lots of Eastern Europeans and Russians. Um, and Canadians, eh? Uh, second, uh, 2A Self-Defense Law. Thank you, 2A Self-Defense Law. Great request, or guest request, Chloe Valdery, Theory of Enchantment, Anti-Racist Training. I saw that. I haven't uh, gone I would, through it yet. I would love to talk to her. Thank you yeah. for the suggestion. Yes. Yeah. It's a good good suggestion. All right. Let's see. By the way, Chloe Valdery, she's someone that they would have real problems with explaining 
why doesn't this black woman speak with the cult doctrine? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see, another one. Shakur, as a white man, I've been self-flagellating for years. I thought it was just because it's hard to meet women now. Turns out I'm just super woke. Yeah. Congratulations. You are woker than the rest. <laughs> Good Thank job. Thank you, Shakur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You're an ally. Uh I can do the next one. Let's see. Mandy. Thank you, Mandy. I I think I recognize your name. What's your opinion of Nancy Pelosi's salon adventure? I just watched the bare minimum on that last night. So I don't know if I know all the details, but I do know that she went to a salon and had her mask off and had her hair done and then said that she was set up by the salon owner, which is kind of funny. I don't know. I think it's another example of one rule for the another rule for me, you know, Animal Farm, which we read recently in Unsafe Space Book Club, where the pigs at first they say all all animals are equal, but then the pigs take over and they start changing the rules that all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. I think it's a case of some animals are more equal than others. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that there's much more of an opinion to ha- like there's nothing to say about it other than that. I, although, uh, I did like, what's the name of the new, I don't, I don't, this is how you know I don't watch politics too much. Isn't there a press, the, the new, I'll say, I'll call her the new White House press secretary, but I don't know how new she is. She's yeah. great, whoever she is. Uh, <laughs> she uh, she played that video on loop for the press at the beginning of a press conference. <laughs> And she was like, and the, her whole thing was, well, we were wondering where Nancy Pelosi was, but we found her. Here she is in San Francisco oh, at a hair salon getting her hair done. That's kind of savage. Oh, you, of course. It's it's absolutely savage. Um, also, I think, wasn't it Bill de Blasio this week also who was caught lecturing about how they would find people without if they didn't wear masks and blah, blah, blah. And then he was immediately, immediately afterwards caught outside without a mask, doing his thing without a mask or whatever, uh, out in public. It's definitely, look, the bat, if there are systemic problems, (laughs) it's the elites against everyone else. Those are the systemic problems. Uh, not, not, not racism. All right. They keep us squabbling about the, the most ridiculous things you know, to it's all mass distraction. Mm-hmm. They can keep us. It's divide and conquer. Keep us fighting amongst ourselves. The whole we've said this before, but the whole liberal conservative divide is not very important anymore. If it ever was, I don't know if it ever was, but it's certainly not important to me right now. Yeah. But some I know, people I are so never the right caught up in scale. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Andrew Joyner, thank you, good. Andrew. He says, "Have you guys seen the book Me and White Supremacy by Layla Syed? I'm not sure how to say her name. My niece told me to read it. Oh gosh. Don't know if it's it's bad as White Fragility, but it's bad. Yeah, I have not read that one. I'm familiar with it. It's on the list of like the top ten cult indoctrination books. What we call them. Casey Peterson actually read that one. He read all twenty of the recommended books that they they told people to read at his company. Uh, that's kind of badass. Yeah, he's very badass. And that was one of the worst ones he mentioned. Yeah. So, um, Ver- Verity's, Verity Renaissance says, did you hear about Jessica Krug? I did not. No, nope. I don't know who that is. Okay, I'm going to move on instead of 
wondering, but if you guys want to tell us in the chat what that's about, let us know. Sugar Waters, thank you. Sugar Waters says in your Peterson interview, Casey Peterson, he said one of the dye trainings, dye means diversity, inclusion, equity. One of the dye trainings was called how to talk to your kids about race. Why is your job trying to teach you to parent? Why are sports preaching at you? It makes me furious. Yes, and I, I forgot to bring that up in the interview with him, Sugar Waters, thank you. That was one of the ones I took the greatest offense to. Your job, why is your job having workshops telling you about what to say to your children, uh, about moral instruction? Why is your job doing that? Yes, why are sports preaching to you? This is not their place. It's not their job. And any atheist out there or anyone who would be offended if your workplace or if your sports were preaching a different kind of religion to you should be equally offended that they're currently preaching this religion to you. Yep. Yep. I I share your frustration. Okay, is this the last one, Sean Barber? Uh, wait, no. What's Alchemy Mind One? Oh, okay, you do that one. I don't uh, see it. Alchemy One Mind One. <clears throat> Alchemy Mind One says the APA American uh, Psychological uh, Psychology Association. Uh, went woke redoing fall curriculum all new psychologists have to get certified with them really Uh, i mean they were already pretty woke right because they were already they had their toxic masculinity report like two years ago or whenever we covered that um they're they're pretty bad i didn't know they went further woke but i guess that is possible so uh. i did not know that but thank you for letting us know we will look into it yeah we did a video if you guys want to look back in our archives, we did a couple videos about the American Psychology Association when they started going all in on this ideology against men and they started preaching all the toxic masculinity stuff and to- telling therapists and psychologists to talk about toxic masculinity with their with men and boys that they're counseling. Grant but uh, Grant says Biden claims a black man invented light bulb at campaign event. An Englishman invented the light bulb and Edison made it commercially available. Thank you. I haven't heard that, that he did that. At this point in the show, I told a riveting story while on mute. So we'll pick up after that. Carrie, everyone in chat is telling me I was muted for that entire time. I'm I'm so, (laughs) this is like, if I were religious, I would be cursing the technology gods today. I am sorry. I just told the story. It was great. Carrie loved it. Wasn't it a great story, Carrie? I was into the story so much I wasn't reading chat. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you the story again. I'm not muted now. I'm sorry that Carrie has to hear it twice. I'm I was lying. pissed Go off ahead. that Biden bought, brought this up because um, this this. How do I want to say this? Is it good to say, hey, there's lots of people that have been around that have invented things. Here's some people that are black and of other races and, and ethnicities that have done some interesting things. Yes, absolutely. Fine. Um, when you lie about it, it undermines the credibility and it makes – I would imagine it makes black kids think, oh, is there no like actual real – like you've got to lie about the people that have <laughs> – Done. You got to make crap up. So what Biden said was, why in God's name don't we teach history in history classes? Now, on that one, I agree with you, Biden. Can we start with communism? Uh, Then he says, a black man invented the light bulb. 
not true, which we'll get into. Not a guy named Edison. Okay. There's so much. Did anybody know? I don't know what, when he says, did anybody know? He could be talking about anything, like where I left my pants. He's okay. So <laughs> we're just going to go on a little quick story, which Carrie just heard. The guy he was referring to is Lewis Latimer. Lewis Latimer was a, uh, yeah, you, I can see you need to go, Carrie. It's okay. Louis Latimer uh, was a uh, the child of two former slaves. Actually, he was born in in Massachusetts. Um, he was a proficient draftsman. He so he was very good draftsman at patent firms. Um, he's credited with uh, an improved toilet system for railroad cars that he invented. And eventually, he was hired by Alexander Graham Bell to draft uh, actually do the drawings for his patent application for uh, the telephone. So cool, smart guy. Now, in 1878, Edison began working on the incandescent light bulb, and he formed the Edison Electric Light Company. Now, to be clear, Edison, here's where Biden's kind of right, Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Uh, another white guy <laughs> invented the light bulb, uh, Warren De La Rue. Um, and, and I think there even is some dispute over that, but it's not clear. In 1840, so this is what, 40 years earlier almost? Um, he enclosed a platinum coil in a vacuum tube and passed an electric current through it, thus creating one of the world's first electric light bulbs. Um, however, his thing wasn't commercially viable. It had a short life and it was, uh, hot, like the voltage, the current was too high to use, uh, in normal applications. So, um, and, but this is like that for most inventions, right? Some like physicist person figures something out, someone kind of demonstrates it, someone commercializes it, someone improves it. I mean, that's how inventions work, right? So it's hard to always draw the line. You can say like, well, he didn't invent that either because... You know, someone else invented passing current through wire. Like, okay, fine. Um, but anyway, Edison tried to take Delarue's thing and fix it uh, to make it more commercially viable. And in 1879, he received a patent uh, titled Improvement in Electric Lamps and in the Method of Manufacturing the Same. Uh, his patent included a carbon filament or strip coiled and connected to platinum contact wires. And the patent includes uh, several ways. It describes a bunch of ways to make the carbon filament, including cotton, cotton, linen thread, wood splints, paper coiled in various ways. Okay. And then he in December 1879, dates are going to be important here. December 1879, Edison demonstrated his new invention, which admittedly was an improvement. Uh, I think I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think the main improvement was lower current. Um so uh, now then in 1880, so after this had been publicly demonstrated and the patent had been <laughs> filed, uh, Latimer began working for Edison's competitor, the U.S. Electric Light Company. In 1881, he received a patent related to electric lamp. And in 1882, he received a patent for process of manufacturing carbons, an improved method for the production of light bulb carbon filaments. So he made another improvement. And my understanding is Latimer's improvement allowed light bulbs to last even longer, he, he solved some problems with the life of the filaments, another critical part of modern incandescent light bulbs. Um, and then in 1884, Edison hired Latimer as a draftsman and expert witness in patent litigation on electric lights. So uh, it doesn't sound like there was a big dispute among them about who, who did this first, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> Latimer worked for Edison defending his patents. Uh, it sounds like. Um, and I, I don't know. The, this, the thing that really bothers me is that the 
casual arrogance with which Biden throws statements like this out, like, they don't even teach history. A black guy invented it. Edison didn't. It's like, that's just not true, old man. That's just not true. And he says it. No one challenges him. No one speaks up and says, can you just, like, be real for a minute? Like, okay, Latimer was great. It's good. Maybe people should be taught about, about Latimer. That's great. But you can't throw this crap around like like there's been some big conspiracy theory to keep Latimer out of the spotlight. I mean, Edison and his company did produce <laughs> the first commercial light bulbs, basically. But even he didn't invent it. So I, I the whole... The whole thing just thank really pisses this, me off. So thank you for bringing it up because I wanted to talk about it history. and it pissed me off. Huh? Cool. Thank you for this moment in history. I liked it. Yeah, I'll shut up. Okay, now. moving on. Dom, Dom, hello, Dom. I know you. He says, fun fact, when POTUS was in Kenosha this week, he did his roundtable conference at my high school. It was weird seeing POTUS in my high school cafeteria. I'm sure that would be very funny. Very weird. Someone larger than life in your high school cafeteria. Mary Little. Thank you, Mary. She says, is Trump wearing blue ties on the campaign trail to trigger the Dems? I have no idea. I haven't noticed he was wearing blue ties, but. I kind of assume everything he's doing is to trigger the Dems. So possibly. Maybe. By the way, to answer James someone else's says, question, I did not drink beer. This is a Yerba Mate. I'm not sipping beer during the show. James <laughs> okay. says, thank you, James. New NHL penalty, five minutes for cultural appropriation. <laughs> That's funny. Richard Pets, thank you, Richard. Richard says, I like your sign, Carter. However, it could read Biden's cost. Nice. Sean Barber, Sean says. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Can't, you can't just plow through my sign, Carrie. This is, this Why? signs are very important. <laughs> okay. It does say, it should say hidden cost, okay. not Biden cost. I do have a thought on hidden cost. We can do it later. It's fine through my sign. I'm trying to get I just three these. I, I, I lost them. Can you pick it up? Yeah. I just I I want to I want to pause on the sign for a minute. Um. I just had this thought. It's it's a it's a not super well formed, and maybe you can tell me what you think about it. But uh, I'm not a materialist. I I absolutely think that humans need like spiritual or we'll say psychological stuff in their lives you need love and meaning and appreciation of art and beauty and all that stuff <clears throat> however through almost all of our history uh most of our time has been spent trying to not get eaten by lions and like find food and like survive and those are all very material things those are all things that are pr pretty pretty material <laughs> that's dealing with the objective world and or the world of objects and the only way that we now have time to do other things and to do some of these, we'll call them spiritual pursuits, pursuits, or if you want, uh, psychologically fulfilling pursuits, is because our material needs uh, are much more easy to take care of now. And something that occurred to me was, if you look at... I know that our standard of living has gone up in the past few decades. I'm not going to argue that. And there have been some positive changes, even culturally, there have been some positive changes. Um, however, if we just look at the efficiency of humans and how much humans are spending time actually contributing to either material 
production so that people have more time to do things they love or contributing directly to those things like making art, that kind of stuff, right? The percentage of time, uh, like total time of all people that's working on that is decreasing. We have more and more people who's, uh, just look at universities. There's been a 10x, there's been a tenfold increase in administrators at universities over like the past few decades, but no increase in professors. So are administrators like inherently productive? No, they're doing this kind of diversity, equity, inclusion crap. You've got all these companies hiring people and and building firms to talk about and, and inventing boogeymen and doing all this stuff. It's all a tax on our time. It's all, it's all effort that's spent not making the human condition better in the world. Um, obviously, like bureaucracies are a great example of, of huge bloated bureaucracies that don't provide any actual value to the human life that just kind of get in the way and shuffle paperwork. Those have been around for a while and expanding. But you also have, and, and, and you've got a class of people now who don't even work right, who just take paychecks from the government. So that's, they clearly aren't contributing to the human experience. Um, so I was just wondering, I don't, I don't know, I don't think this is calculable, but I was just wondering like, what percentage of, like if you like multiplied all the people in the US times the time that they spend actually producing, I bet that's going down, 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 down. It's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And the only way that this lasts is because our productivity increases exponentially because of technology, not exponentially, but goes up because of technology so we can get away with this. So fewer people can provide more for more people. But at some point this is broken. And it just it's just fascinating to me as I sit back and look. And then the thing that made me think about it was this, uh, what was the name of that damn thing, Carrie? The, the white men as full diversity partners. I just thought like this dude this dude's got a whole organization and everything he's doing is a waste of time at best. At worst, it's actually causing other roadblocks. It's actually worse than a waste of time because he's teaching the NHL how to put roadblocks now in their own organization. And he's teaching Sandia how to put roadblocks up in their own organization. And so it's uh, – if I just step back and look at it, it's it's depressing how it's both depressing and inspirational. It's depressing how much inefficiency and waste and just call it we'll just call it fat in the system there is. It's just doing nothing. And yet we still are have pretty good lives. Uh the inspirational part is like, wow, it doesn't take many productive people to to create a great society. Like it doesn't take a lot of production, especially with modern technology, to really uh to really give us a great standard of living. That was my thought. I know it was a, a random interlude, but. Okay. Yep. Yes, it was a random interlude, Carter. Okay. <laughs> Sean Barber, do you want me, can you do Sean or do you want me to? No, I lost it, you do it. All right, Carter, have you seen the con conversation slash debate between Matt D.L. Hunty and Jordan Peterson? I would love to hear your opinion on that interaction. Hey, Carrie. Uh, I have not, so I don't have an opinion on the interaction. I don't know who the first guy is, actually. Uh, so, But I, I'll go look it up. I'll look it up, and I will bring an opinion next time about it. All right, let me scroll to the next one. I vowed that we would catch up on Super, super Chats today, but I, I got thrown off of my... Uh, I got thrown off my game with this audio stuff. Okay. 
Roger spends five bucks to tell us we have no audio. I'm sorry that you had to do that, Roger. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Audio is back. I'm scrolling basically through a bunch of chats that say mute. You're muted. Uh, okay, Blackbeard. Thank you, Blackbeard. Blackbeard, OG Blackbeard says, would love to hear what you guys are saying. All right. Thank you, Blackbeard. I would love for you to hear that as well. Microphone Steve Rochester. Microphone fun for Carter. Thank you. Uh, I'm just going to bang through these last ones. Yeah. Lucky Charmer. Thank you. Lucky Charmer says, have you seen Ask No Questions documentary? Must see. No, I haven't even heard of it. Mm-mm. Shakur. Again, thank you. Shakur says, if you haven't seen it, watch the movie Undercover Brother. Great old movie. One joke is George Washington Carver created the computer from a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I saw that movie. It's just been a long time. I'd never heard of it. Uh, Tatiana Fisk. Hello, love. She gave us a $20 super chat. She says, I've been just so fed up and depressed lately. I feel like I may be going crazy sometimes. I'm trying to get out of it. Thankfully, we have plans to see friends and go shooting, but I'm so grateful for you all. Well, we're grateful for you guys and grateful for doing the live show where you get to chat with people. Uh, I relate to that. I've, I've, I've been on this trip, so I get outside, <laughs> do something. I've been very grateful for being able to take this time and go hiking and do do things outdoors and get away from the, you know, fighting, fighting Marxism or whatever. You can't constantly be opposed to something. I was talking about this yesterday with someone. You have to have something that you're, and Tatiana certainly knows this. You have to have something that you're living for. You have to have something that you're doing and creating. And you can't just be constantly wake up every day here's what I'm against, here's what I'm against, here's what I'm against. There has to be stuff that you're for and you have to have joy. And if you're finding that you're frustrated and depressed and worn down, take some time offline. It may be different amount of time for each person, but take some time away and just enjoy life. Yeah. That's my little motivational thing for people feeling fed up because I feel you, I know what that feels like. Yeah, I, I agree with your advice, but I, I will also just say, I hear you, like it's, you're not crazy for feeling fed up and upset right now because when the world's falling apart, you're not the crazy one for feeling sad about it. Like, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. You want to do Mr. Biggles? Mr. B- Mr. Biggles. Uh, Mr. Biggles, hello. I love your name. He says, hello, how do you contend with the use of the past and history to justify motions to rebalance the present? It's like it taps into our sense of fairness and can be very persuasive, at least for me. Well, I think what you're talking about is this this ideology, as we've mentioned, is a mutated kind of Marxism. So the old the, the Marxism that you may have learned about, hopefully learned about in school, a lot of people didn't. I didn't. Um, but the Marxism of past basically said that we need to redistribute wealth so we can achieve fairness. And this ideology says we need we need to redistribute power among identity groups so we can achieve fairness. And the way that I deal with that is I look at it on its face and it is wrong. You can't rob your neighbor for something he didn't do and and say this is justified because of your whatever class group you're in or whatever racial group you're in or whatever sex group you're in that I, I can now take something from you. That's, first of all, if you're doing it on the basis of identity, if you're doing it on the basis of race and sex, it's racist and sexist. You're literally robbing this person because what race they are, because what sex they are. That's not fair. 
that in what world is that fair? Yeah, but it, it so that's the thing that the problem is there was unfairness in the past. That's right. true. Um, and there is even some today in, in places, yes. right? Um, in, in, in situations. And but you don't correct unfairness with more unfairness. Right. So the thing that you've got to wrestle with, I think, which is maybe not always fun to deal with psychologically, uh, but parents sometimes say this to kids, right? There's a phrase, life isn't fair, kid. Sometimes life isn't fair. And sometimes it's past the time to be able to rectify it. The people who are who did it, uh, the people who are responsible, and the people who suffered directly are no longer around. And when the people, especially when the people that are responsible are no longer around, the possibility of restitution dies with them. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but that's the truth of it because it's fairness or unfairness or action, uh, you, you know, moral behavior or immoral behavior, those are ascribed to individuals. Those are people, not groups. Whites didn't do anything to blacks. Some white people did bad things to some black people, most black people in America. Um, it, But that's not a... When you allow them to substitute identity groups for individuals and then demand fairness, that's when you get yourself into a hell of a lot of trouble. You've got to keep in mind that, like... Fairness is a moral claim. It's a, it's a it's a moral idea. The idea of fairness, right? It's in it's in the realm of ethics, and ethics applies to individuals. Ethics does not apply to groups. There's no such thing as a group's ethics. I mean, unless every single person in the group has the exact same ethic. Um, so that's where they get you. They convince you that there was unfairness, and they're right. But they gloss over the difference between individuals and groups. And they ignore the fact that that unfairness is not resolvable any longer. The best you can do is to recognize what caused it and root that out so that you don't root that, that out in, in the future. Yes, the answer is to end the unfairness, end legal, any type of discrimination that is upheld in the law, anything that, that in the law that you can change, change it. If there are other personal structural things because they want to talk about institutionalized um, isms all the time combat that culturally and but you don't you don't fix it by doing the same thing from a flip side it it uh, um, from a philosophical standpoint it just it doesn't make any sense it's like you don't cure racism with racism you don't cure sexism with sexism there's there's no way to cure collectivism with collectivism you're just replacing it with another kind of collectivism the answer is treating people as individuals that's always been the answer and that's what's helped us to progress as far as we have that's that's why we're where we're at in society and now we're moving backwards again it's weird we got this far because we started treating people as individuals because of the ideas of what Martin Luther King appealed to our common humanity. You know, he used the words, he used the inclusive words, truly inclusive words, we, us. He helped people, he helped people to see that race doesn't matter, that you, that, that we're equal, that we should, you should treat people equally regardless of race. The same thing with sex. You should treat people equally regardless of sex. We, and now, instead of appealing to our...
common humanity and try and help us see if, if we're going to be, you know, to see ourselves as part of one large tribe. Now we're back to this idea of like the other. It's all about the other. Well, I'm in this group. You're in that group. I've got to treat you this way because you're in that group. And I got to treat you that way because you're in this group and you're in that group. So that means I definitely have to treat you this way. It's, it's so it, it, it's just wrong. It's poison. It doesn't take us anywhere good. Um, and and it is surprising that it's become so popular. And and you're right, Mr. Biggles, it's become popular because they sell it as a kind of, they try and sell it as fairness. It's not. That's why they have to redefine the words. How do they convince you, if you're against racism, how do they convince you that you need, that the moral thing to do is to judge people based on what sex they are and what race they are, what sexuality they are, and to treat them differently based on what group they're in. How do they get you to do that? Well, they have to redefine what those words mean, what racism means, what sexism means, because they can't get you to do that easily. I think it's against, I think it's, it's, we've been raised in a liberal culture with liberal ideas of individualism and equality. And there's something in our guts against that. And so they have to convince you it's good to do to start doing this now. It's good to start to go back to the days where you looked at someone's race or sex or sexuality and you treated them differently. And they tell you, well, why should you do this? Well, because there's so many racists and sexists out there and we have to combat them by becoming racist and sexist ourselves. No, it changes you. Don't let them change you. I can go on a rant about this. I'm sorry. You've heard all this before, Carter. It no, just, you're it not just, talking to me. You're talking to yeah. the audience. And you <clears> did go on a rant, and it was a good one. So I embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. It just makes me – yeah, it, it's sad. But don't let it – you know, don't let it change you. One person, one person, you can change, you can change the world around you just by not letting this ideology change you. Let people see what you believe in your actions and how you treat other people. And, and it's really, it's really, uh, it's not just that this ideology tells you to treat white people differently and oh, white people don't get to speak or whatever. White people need to apologize on behalf of the race and white people, blah, blah, blah. It's also that it tells you to, to treat anyone who's not white differently. It's so, it's racist towards everyone. That's why these, these white social justice warriors in a lot of the groups I'm in, the, the female white, uh, white women, or the female white women, the white women who are social justice warriors, they're always confessing in these groups how they have trouble making friends with women of color. It's weird, but I think it's because they've adopted an ideology that's telling them to look at women of color differently and to treat them differently. So when they meet someone, they're not just saying, hi, I'm, I'm Carrie. Hi, Carter. Nice to meet. They're not meeting people as individuals. They're meeting an individual and they're treating that individual as a group. And so there's this example I've given a lot, but it was the white woman who said that a black woman had moved to her town and she's like, I want to befriend her. Well, first of all, why do you so eagerly, desperately want to befriend just because she's a woman of color? It's really condescending. It's like you're trying to collect her. But but let's say you're but she is trying to collect. Gen- she's trying to collect her. But let's just say genuinely you want to make friends and she happens to be a woman of color. She was saying, I, well, I can't ask her this question. And I can't ask her this question to get to know. And I can't ask her this one because these are all micro. I've learned these are all microaggressions. It's like, that's ridiculous. You would ask those questions of a white person. Why wouldn't you ask it of her? So you've just started treating her differently because she's black. That's racist. <laughs> that's racist. What's, and no wonder. No wonder you can't. 
I was going to say, no wonder you can't form a genuine connection with someone because you're not treating her genuinely. You're not coming into that meeting with this new person in good faith and honest and open and raw and human. You're coming into it like, I'm a white woman. You are a black woman. Let me figure out the right robotic questions I can ask you to prove that I'm a good white person and you should want to be my friend. That's so condescending. Gross. I wouldn't want to be friends with you either. Sorry. No. Yeah. And you've accepted all these premises about what it means to be a black person. So yes. you're like, well, I'd love to meet you for coffee, but I know you can't show up on time and that's uh, right supremacy. So, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah. just be, I'll just wait for you because you'll probably be late. And, um, you know, I know I know you can't do math because math is white. Uh, so I'll, I'll handle the, the math transaction with with Starbucks because I know you can't count change because, you know, that's a that's a yeah. white thing. And like. All of these condescending beliefs they have about black people. If I were a black person, the last person I would want to befriend is a white person who believed <laughs> those things about me because of my race. It's like, I, yeah. it blows my mind. It's gross. It's so gross. I don't know why they, sometimes I'm baffled that they can't see it, but yeah, it's, yeah, you, it's the last. Nobody wants to be friends with someone like that. No, no wonder you have. No wonder all of your friends are other cult members. Yeah, and they're not really friends, as I You're, say. You have a bunch of white liberal elitist yeah. friends who sit around talking about black people all the time. What is wrong with you? And it, and you come into the relationship as if you know everything about black, as if you know everything about that individual because you've you know what black people think. No, you don't. You don't. You don't know what that woman thinks. You have no idea. Why don't you meet her as an individual? <laughs> so bad. Anyway. Oh, so bad. Okay. All right. Let's do some more super chats. Um, you, you do it. Do I, I have you want me to? I haven't caught up with them. I have to scroll so up. Sean Awesome 77 says, if there's a civil war, we need to be writing all information we can on paper. So, 150, so in 150 years, there's no debate and they teach history correctly. Uh, I, I like writing stuff on paper too I think the issue is history will be taught by whomever controls so I know there's a phrase history gets taught by the winners but I've said this before I don't think that's true history gets taught by whoever the winter, winners allow to teach history in their universities <laughs> so uh, certainly American history was not taught by the founding thought like our, our, our the founding ideals are, were not the the basis for teaching history and philosophy in universities for the next 200 years, which is why we are where we are. Um, but we let the, we let the crazies, mostly Germans and French into universities to, to teach some horrible philosophy. And you know, this, that's what we get. But yeah, I mean, who it's going to depend on who wins is what, what his historical record, unfortunately, I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm just being a realist. Yeah. Cemetery of Choice gives us five bucks and says, Rioters and looters are praised by BLM for doing the only thing they know how to do. Probably first time ever praised for doing instead of merely existing. <laughs> Funny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> as, we, as we broke apart in our previous kafefi, they, they defend looting as social justice people are defending looting as another way of acting. Right. Another way, another of, way acting of acting in the world. Yes. I'm acting in an alternative way. <laughs> Sue Escobar. Thank you, Sue. Oh, says, hi, Sue. You want to read Can I read no? this one? 
Yeah. Hi, Sue. Sue says, I'm inspired by you both and Casey Peterson. So I'm taking the small question mark step of quitting my faculty union. I've been a member for 21 years, but my values and morals no longer align with the ideology they're pushing. Cool. I mean, I don't know a lot about unions. I'm kind of ignorant there, but if, hey, if that's a, if that's a step for you, that's a courageous step, then congratulations. Yeah. Congrats and good luck. Um, and good I mean, luck. And it, I, I remember you, you're doing the tough work. You're out there teaching during this climate. Unions do the thing that like unions <clears throat> shot themselves in the foot because they, they kind of did the same thing that the feminists did, right? They got equality and then still needed jobs. So they were like, well, I guess we better keep going. Uh, <laughs> the unions like, instead of like, I think there's a proper place for unions in a free market. Um, cause it's just voluntary cooperation and negotiation and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So, but then they, they, they pushed to have the government intervene in all of these ways in which unions were needed to intervene in the past. So like they, they just basically gave their job to the government and they got a bunch of laws passed and now unions don't really provide as much value as they used to before. And, but they still need to exist. So they kind of are just political entities. And there was a whole, I don't know if you remember, Carrie, there was a whole thing in California of uh, California teachers were giving money to, they're, they're giving money to Democrats, basically, I think. And um, there was California teachers saying like, hey, I don't want my union dues going to one party. And it's like, oh, well, like tough, tough crap. You're part of the union. That's the way it is. Wow. I didn't, I didn't remember that. Going yeah. to a particular party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do that all the time. Right. And you can't opt out. So in many times you can't opt out. So uh, it's really nasty. It's a really dirty political uh, bullying world. The world of unions is, is it's always been it's always been kind of questionable. But I think there was legitimacy to the concept of unions earlier on. But now they're not needed. Unions aren't needed to make sure that your employer like provides a safe work environment. Like there's laws for that. Unions aren't needed to make sure that your employer like doesn't pay you overtime. There's laws for that. Like you, 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 all the things that you're supposed to negotiate so that you get treated fairly, you basically voted for people to make them laws. And uh, now unions don't really have a purpose in my viewpoint. Uh, Dion said, this is not a super chat, but Dion just said, every great cause begins as a movement, becomes a business, and eventually degenerates into a racket. And that's a quote by Eric Hoffer. I've never heard that quote before, but it resonates with me. I think a lot of a lot of great causes become movements and then become businesses. And that's one of the reasons why you see ideologies like this one, like the social justice ideology, move past the point of progress and then start regressing because you've got these you've got this movement that's been built and you have some very concrete measurable end goals and you achieve those. Okay. So ending slavery, uh, giving women the right to vote, um, you know, specific things that you want to get accomplished, but then the apparatus is still there or in the LGBT, uh, uh, movement, for example, legalizing gay marriage. That was a specific goal. But then after these things get achieved, you still got the apparatus there. You still have all these people that, that like the nonprofit machine that make a lot of money off of these causes. And what do they have to what do they do to justify their jobs, to justify this cause, to justify the money coming in? 
you can you have to keep pushing where are they going they become a racket of course so that yeah. that that resonates with me thank you for that quote i never heard it before yeah all right tomsky 999 thank you tomsky 999 says a friend of mine read white fragility and then started posting white people racist i asked her are white babies racist then she blocked me Typical. There is a book out right now called Anti-Racist Baby. I believe it's also by Abram X. Kendi. It's, uh, yeah, they, babies are not off limits for these guys. I've, it's funny you're asking that question, probably partially in sincerity and partially out of a sense of humor. But they are, if you can think it, they're pushing it. Babies are racist. Yep. All right, B. Allen. B. Allen, thank you for the super chat. B. Allen says, Carrie, was being pro-gun a problem when you were on the dark side? Thank you for the question. That's an interesting question. I, It actually wasn't very much of one. I definitely got into arguments with other social justice people about it from time to time. They thought it was a weird, uh, they thought I was eccentric or weird in that way. But there were also other leftists and other so deeply social justice people who I took to the gun range and changed their mind about guns. Now, I don't know if that, now I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> if Thanks, they have Carrie. sympathies with Antifa and now they're like pro gun. But, uh, yeah, I took a lot of feminists to the gun range and opened their mind to the concept of, uh, you know, second amendment, our second amendment rights being a positive thing for individuals and, I think uh, I think yeah. the left has really stopped being anti-gun uh, to a large extent because they are they, stopping. Because yeah. they're using them. Yeah. Uh, another super chat from Tatiana Fisk. Thank you, Tatiana. She says, "For a man to be free, they can't be equal. For a man to be free, to be equal, they can't be free." Paraphrasing, paraphrasing Solzhenitsyn. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've said this before. I don't like, I don't like the word equal. It's, I I know I. The only equality that is worth talking about is equality under the law. It's literally the only equality that's worth talking about because there is no equality of opportunity. There is no equality of outcome. Like that people are different. They have different talents. They have different inherited talents. They have different inherited starting points, being born into a two-parent family versus not, being born in the U.S. versus being born elsewhere. Like there is no level playing field at birth. There just isn't. And there is no expectation of equality later. There, like, the only way in which equality is important, and I think the way in which it was historically meant, which has been distorted, uh, is political equality. That's what's meant. You treat people equally. That's what you do. You treat them equally. But it's been morphed into this, like, they ought to be equal, and if they're not equal, we need to do something about it. It's, no, people aren't yeah. equal. Humans aren't equal. They're not the same, but you get rid of the policies that that the policies that treat people unequally. You get they stop at some point. They cease being about these tangible end goals. Okay, so like end redlining, yes. Okay, but then after they've we've ended redlining, again this apparatus still exists. So then what do they do? They redefine what redlining means so they can do, they can start regressing and doing things that aren't, you know, they move past the, the measurable end goals and then they have to start changing language. Oh 
to justify the cause that the the racket that they've become. I think honestly, I think what we're seeing often is that like a lot of these people, a lot of the left has had very similar political goals for decades, but there's only so much that they can get away with. The Overton window is only so big, so they're only really allowed to kind of talk so much in that direction. Um, but kind of emotionally, this is why, I think this is why intuitively a lot of people on the right call them commies, right? Because emotionally, like a lot of them are just like, well, that is kind of what they want. Emotionally, they kind of want that. Uh, but they've just been hesitant to kind of say it and maybe even admit it. And as soon as the acceptable discourse allows them to start going farther, they do. And they continue to go that way. And there's no end point. They, they are now basically calling for Marxist revolution, some of them, right? Um, well, this makes me think of, there's a great video, a lecture from Brett Weinstein. If you guys haven't seen it, it's called How the Magic Trick is Done. You can find it on YouTube, Brett Weinstein. And in it, he describes some stuff that happened at Evergreen. But he, what I find really interesting about it is he talks about the two groups that kind of propel and push the social justice ideology forward. And he roughly he roughly divides people into two groups that what he calls the bad actors and the useful tools. And a lot of the useful tools are liberals, actual classical liberals believe in individualism and equality. And they're in this, they're in the left because they believe in equality. Then you've got the leftists, the bad actors and the people who he said, it's weird because you up to a certain point, these groups are in alignment, right? But then you pass that point and this, the leftists, the bad actors are moving off in this direction. And it takes a while for the liberals to realize, wait a minute, we're not on the same, we're not in the same group. We had the same shared goals up until a point, but now you guys are going in a crazy direction. <laughs> like, like I was with you about ending redlining and removing legal barriers to equality and all this, but now you're in a uh, forced redistribution of power and wealth, like uh, defunding the police and, discriminating against people on the basis of race and sex? No, like we're not in the same group. Because I think takes... there, you had similar short-term goals, but very different yeah. reasons for wanting those goals. Yes, that's probably true. Yeah. And, and a lot of liberals don't realize that leftists are not the same as them. And what's that famous saying? They spray paint, the Antifa likes to spray paint on walls. Liberals will get the bullet too. Well, the leftists know, they know the liberals are not in their group. <laughs> oh, yeah. The leftists are often pay. I, I don't want to say they're smarter. I'm not, I'm not claiming that they're smarter, but they're often more aware. They're more self-aware of their beliefs because they're examined. They like, they've examined their beliefs. They know what yeah. their beliefs are. They know that they want to go in a particular direction. They know why. They'll be overt about it. If, if you ask them, they can justify their beliefs. I mean, I, obviously, I don't, I think their justifications are false, but uh, they've got like justifications. A lot of liberals are kind of like busy living their lives and like, I don't know, I believe in, I believe people should be treated equally. That sounds good. Do, 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 do. Right. They're not, they're not examining their beliefs um, very deeply. And so when the leftists come along and say, hey, you need to support us on these causes. Because they're in line with your belief. They're in line with these things that you like, right? Yeah, everyone everyone nods, and they all kind of jump into one group. And then they try and, as they separate there, they try and pull them in that direction with them, which I think actually has yeah. happened for many people. They, they go They, they have go left. pulled. 
they pulled me. Yeah. You know, they get liberals to defend illiberal beliefs by redefining words, definitions, shame, all the stuff that they used to move you over there. And but it but it is possible to wake up and, and realize, wait a minute, this isn't liberalism. <laughs> what what am I doing? Um I want to read something just real quick, Carter, if you're okay with it. It's not a super chat, but it spoke to me. Daniel Harp said, it's hard as a Christian to not have hatred in my heart for the really despicable ones like, and he names some people he has hatred for, Soros, Pelosi, Schumer, uh, the DA that won't prosecute others. I'm not naming. Those aren't people I have trouble with, I guess, but there are definitely people I despise. And... There's some, there's a practice you can do, I think, that is really useful. Carter may not agree with this because we talked about this before, but I heard this preacher, this guy, uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, he, he, he preaches at this sort of, it was a spiritual center. It was kind of the first place I started going when I was on my path to finding God. And it was very non-denominational, a little bit new age and stuff too. But anyway, this guy, Michael Bernard Beckwith, said something that really stuck with me and has remained with me. And he talked about putting people that he hates at the center of his prayer altar and praying for them until he doesn't hate them anymore. And I thought that it just made me think about things differently because it, you're not just praying for good things for this person you're, you hate in the act of praying for them. And if you're not a Christian and if you don't pray, maybe meditating for them or just thinking positive thoughts about someone that you don't like, you're changing yourself. You change. It, it helps you to get rid of this hatred, this thing inside of you. If you do it long enough. It's a, it's an amazing practice. I'm not saying I'm great at it. it. You have to do it every day. And, but I've done it and it sucks. I, even in my gratitude journal, I'm like, thank you so much for this person that I, <laughs> I'm learning lessons from this person that I couldn't learn any other way. Thank you. But it really does can change you over time to do that. So anyway, thank you, Carter, for letting me have that aside. But I think that, that probably resonates with a lot of people. And they don't do that. Social justice warriors don't try and they don't try and cultivate empathy or love for people they hate. It's a, they should. It well, change them. Yeah, I I think you and I do depart on this a little bit. Uh, I don't I don't think it's psychologically healthy to focus on ha- hating people like I don't I think that's self-destructive to be to make that your focus so in that sense we probably agree and as an atheist I, I think you know meditation therapy introspection working on your psychology like sure um but I think where we maybe where where we maybe part ways is uh I don't think it's immoral to despise someone um i think uh if you are to i think hate is the flip side of love and uh hatred is a correct response to uh, immorality and 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 vile people and vile behavior so like just to silly example like an axe murderer who kills my family it's not a like i don't need to learn to love that person that person committed vile acts i can hate their acts and i can hate them uh and because i can say well, look this person is so vile and the damage that they've done is so vile um 
that they are, if I, if I can't hate them, who can I hate? And I think there's a scale that goes maybe from that end to like your spouse who you love. Um, and I don't, I don't think that it's necessary to love all of your enemies. I just don't think that's necessary, but I know that's a Christian thing. So we're not going to, we're not going to have a debate about, like, we're not going to come to agreement on it because it's, it's a, yeah. Right. But I will say to use your example of a murderer who kills your family, one of the most moving things I've seen in recent years was the Charleston, was it Charleston? The church, the black church with the white, the white supremacist guy came in and killed a bunch of people. And to see the, the family members on camera, I can't remember if it was during his sentencing or it was another time during the trial, but they were, they were person after person. It wasn't just one, just talking about forgiveness, how they forgave him. That was moving. It doesn't mean that I'm capable of that. I would like to be, but I think that's, I think that probably, did that move you at all as an no, atheist to see that? No, it disgusts me. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to makes... live in a world where vile, evil behavior is just so easily forgiven. Um, it's not easy. It's forgiven. Do it doesn't need to be forgiven. You don't have to have revenge. You don't have to be like, you don't have to fester in it and stew on it, but it doesn't need to be forgiven. Like I, I don't, I, I, it's not my job to forgive people from their behavior. And if they've harmed me, I don't need to forgive them. Like that's not a, that's not a moral requirement. I don't know where that requirement not, comes from other than the Bible. I don't know where it would rationally come from. I don't know why that would be a requirement morally. We don't have to go on this tangent, but I will say, I think that it's not necessary. You can continue living your life without forgiveness. I just think it's good for the soul. And it's not easy. That's why it is so moving. You look at something like that and it, it brought me to tears to imagine a heart that's capable of that. And I, I mean, I think obviously we will disagree here, but I don't, I don't think it's a human thing. I think it's God, like some people it's God forgiving through them, but that's obviously we'll disagree on that. So right. anyway, right. No, I, I get it. That's and, and again, that like I, look, there's and we have I've such seen people different in chat. opinions on that. Yeah. I see people in chat like, forgiveness is this forgiveness is that Carter doesn't get forgiveness is this hate is the opposite. Opposite of hate is apathy. The opposite of love is apathy. I see all these opinions in chat. And this is one of the problems that I have with this topic and and the topic of love and hating your enemies and forgiveness. None of these terms are very clearly defined and everyone's got some interpretation of them. Someone wrote in chat, you're supposed to, you can love your enemies, but don't like them. I don't, as an atheist, I don't even know what that means. I have no idea. Literally, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. So like if we can't define terms clearly, it's it's useless to try and have these discussions because it just does. It's like I don't even know what I'm talking about. I, am I going to argue with you that you could love someone without liking them? I don't know. I have no idea. Now I don't know what words mean at that point. I have no idea what you're talking about. So like <laughs> that's what the frustration comes in because there's a lot of like there's a lot. The Bible's got a lot of and some contradictory stuff, but it's got a lot of phrases like that. By the way, which are also translated from greek in the new testament mostly right so like he's got a, and there's lots of words for love and in, in greek so it's not even clear that you're talking about the same thing as what was originally written 
and you're operating off of religion that I don't share. Like it just gets to be the the divide between definitions and what we're talking about is just so huge that it's it's almost useless to like argue with Christians in chat or or you or anyone about it because I like I just it's not worth it. I get it. We we're in agreement that there's some psychological validity to not festering in your your hatred and your your resentment and anger and like that's bad for you. I totally agree with that. Differences. I don't know. I, I don't know the differences are even worth arguing unless we got into super, super detailed semantics, which I don't even have the expertise to do when it comes to biblical uh, phrases. Like, I don't know. Well, we don't have to get on this path. I really like this conversation. I enjoy As you know, I like talking yeah. about this stuff. Yeah. But anyway. Well, I, you and just, I could have it I another have, time. It's a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a late checkout here, just so you know, Carter, but I have a hard out about in about 15 minutes. Uh oh. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's do some super chats quickly. Christopher Robin, <laughs> thank you, Christopher Robin. Uh, he says, uh, "Hi guys, deep diving into critical theory and found the goal is belief beyond evidence. Evidence just like religion, it's a non-deity theology." Yeah. Um. And 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 the postmodernism is is explicitly that way. In fact, um. There's it's it's a. I think uh, I think Michael Rechtenwald calls it epistemological solipsism, right? It's this like whatever my knowledge, whatever my way of knowing is, is the way of knowing. That's that's how knowledge is acquired. Um, it's definitely mystical in every sense of the word, and um, yeah, and critical theory is basically the god is the political outcome, <laughs> and everything else is justification for worshiping that god. Uh, Marie Busky, thank you, Marie. Marie says, an activity to make you happy is to turn the covers of all the woke books around on the shelves in bookstores. If you're questioned, just respond, these <laughs> trigger me. I call it literary frivolity. I think that is awesome, Marie. <laughs> thank you. It's a great suggestion. Or like Dan, a... Go ahead. Well, the, at the Boulder, the woke bookstore I was at in Boulder, they had an infected bin and they told every book you touch had to go in the infected bin. So I touched, we, Nicole of the Mountain People and I touched some woke books. <laughs> yeah, you gotta touch all the woke books if you do that. Okay, <laughs> Daniel Harp. Daniel Harp says, it's hard as a Christian to not have hatred in my heart for the real despicable ones like Soros Pelosi. Oh, that was the one that you said before. That's oh, I read that. Super chat. Okay. Okay. Um, thank you, uh, thank you, Daniel. You sparked an interesting Daniel? discussion, Daniel, actually. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, Rodzilla says, uh, if Carter and, and Blonde were on the same stream, it would be the greatest stream before you got Susan Wiwikied. I don't know who Blonde is, so I believe you, but I don't know who Blonde is. Rebecca, Pirate Queen. By the way, Blackbeard, take note. There is someone claiming royalty in your organization, so... Uh, thank you, Rebecca. She says, could SJWs come from truth and reconciliation committees? The sins of the father being visited on the sons. Uh, yeah, I think that's more of a carry question, but I think so. Yes, I think it can. Um, I think they can. I think SJWs can come from truth and reconciliation committees. Uh, I view social justice. I mean to write about this, but I'm, I'm so busy. I could probably write a book on this. I, I, I don't think, I think social justice is a psychological dysfunction, not a philosophy. So there's under, there's like, 
yes, they could absolutely come from there. As long as there's justification somewhere uh, for that behavior, they can come out of there. Sandy Kins, thank you, Sandy Kins. She says, who is the guy in today's program's photo? Oh, that guy is, um, what's his name? Hold on, I'll look up his name. That guy is Bill Proudman from White Men as Full Diversity Partners. He is the guy who founded and made built his whole career on wearing a hair shirt and whipping himself in front of other white men and encouraging them to do the same. Let's see. Uh, is there any more super chats or I'm scrolling here? Did you get to Kent yet? Had to take a break from woke groups? I don't think I did. No. Uh, yeah, I'm there now. You want to read it? Kent. Yeah, Kent says I had to take a break from woke groups. Too sad. Yeah, I have to yeah. take a break from those sometimes too. I like being in them so I can see how they're updating the magic terms. But yeah. uh, the do the dogmatic muse says, "Thank you, dogmatic muse. I haven't seen you before." Says, can I be your token senior citizen? Life is coercive, urgent, and fired at us point blank. Dodge the bullets as you can and deal with it. I like that advice. And advice. absolutely, you can be our token senior citizen. How do but I make wait friends with senior citizens? Can you yeah. tell me? I don't know how to talk to them. Are, do, they, do they believe in rugged individualism or is that also is that anti-senior citizen? Just that's the joke I was going to do, yes. Sorry. What are the appropriate ways of treating senior citizens? <laughs> Um, the next one channel, uh, channel Julio. Thank you. Channel Julio says I have trouble with the idea that we are not fighting flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, how then to deal with face F and B selective justice wars. Um, well, I don't know where you're coming from, what your perspective is on the world with this question. I mean, if you're a Christian, I think, uh, it, it, a lot of Christians believe that we're we're not fighting flesh and blood, that we are fighting powers and principalities. And that actually gives me comfort in a weird way because I don't know, it's like it's like a movie where I think I feel like I know what the ending is anyway. And it's stepping back from interactions with people and reminding myself of what's really important. And when you're getting into a fight, like a, with a selective social justice war on Facebook, sometimes you can the dopamine dopamine from being in an argument with someone, everything it can consume you, and it can seem very important that you're arguing with this person. It's not important. It's really not. You can step back from it and say, "Okay, did I was I did I behave myself in a way I'm proud of in that interaction? Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. You can learn from it, but it's just part of something bigger and I don't know if I'm explaining myself well, um, but I will say if you're not in our book club channel, Julia, we are currently reading a, a nonfiction book. We're reading Human Diversity by Charles Murray. But the next book we're going to read is fiction. We're reading uh, C.S. Lewis Screwtape Letters because a lot of people have suggested that to me and to the channel. And that one, if you haven't read it, I think would be a very good one. I, I haven't finished it yet, but I think you're going to like it, it based on this question. So. I, I just want to jump in and make a quick comment on that because I think uh, I think Julio got the or Julio I'm not sure how to pronounce it I think you hit the nail on the head in, in like the um, in terms of the where the angst and depression comes from in fighting this battle because I think the answer is we are fighting an ideological battle and we're fighting flesh and blood people because 
ideologies only have power through the actions of people who adopt them. And so we are fighting both. And that's the thing that gets depressing because there are a lot of flesh and blood people implementing bad ideology. Um, and f ultimately it's an ideological war, which means that we need to be pushing the correct uh, ideologies and building generations of kids who are immune to bad ideology. And at the same time, we need to defend ourselves against a rabid mob and a growing mob of crazy people who want to implement their Marxist ideal or at the very least destroy us for standing in the way. And um, I think the, the tough fact to face here is we are dealing with both. And I know that's, I think because that's my perspective, that might be why I'm a little bit less into pulling SJWs out of the battle than Carrie is and more focused on like normies because I'm, and maybe why I'm more pessimistic than Carrie is generally because that's my perspective is that it's because I really think that the only action left to us is to start, um, is to be aware that it's a flesh and blood battle in the near term, as well as an ideological battle and, and to circle wagons and start building communities of people who, um, have at least ideological alignment on basic tenets of Western civilization. And so that we can fight because we may have to like, you know, someone said this uh, the other day, if we do, let's say we all move to a state and secede. Marxists don't like that. Marxists don't leave you alone. That's not their thing. They're not like, it's, it's the, it's the small government libertarian mindset that says, oh, you want a commune of hippies where you share stuff? Like, okay, you can go do that. Like, we'll leave you alone. We'll let you do your thing. Marxists don't let you do your thing. You have to do their thing. That's how Marxists are. They're authoritarians. So you're not allowed to just go have your little spot over here. Hey, we're going to have some freedom over in this spot over here. Can you, you just, we'll leave no. the whole rest of the country. Do your Marxist thing. We're going to do our thing. No, that's, they need total control, total control. So the, I, uh, I think it's likely to get to real battles at some point. They're like mosquitoes. There's, there's no place in your backyard to <laughs> I'm carving this out, guys. For, if for only us. smoke you guys stay with No. Uh, hey, a uh, quick comment. This is not a super chat, but there's a new person in chat who asked if this is a Christian channel. Palm tree pad. Uh, in case there's new people here. No, I wouldn't say it's a Christian. I'm, I'm a new Christian, so I talk about what things from my perspective. Sometimes Carter's an atheist, and he talks about things from his perspective. But you'll find both people in our chat, and it doesn't matter. We're happy to have you. Yeah, I will say one thing that we are is a as in generally I was a I was an evangelical atheist for a while and I do still hold the same atheist beliefs but uh we don't generally bash on Christianity a lot on this like I'm not an atheist who feels like I need to go bash on Christianity constantly um I disagree with it I would love for our society to get to a point where Carrie and I can have a show where we just argue about Christianity all day and like that would be great because that would mean that that's the biggest problem that we're facing. And uh, that's not the biggest problem that we're facing right now. And I, and I do, I personally have a little bit, and not everyone in, that listens to the show and is an atheist is going to agree with what I'm about to say, but I personally have a little bit of a uh, appreciation for the, um, 
morals of Christianity and the kind of historical value of it and the the ideas that it's helped to prop up in the West and and some of the so, so I think there's some value and some there's some, there's some I, I've said before there's like I view it as a heuristically derived ways of living as a group together that work pretty well that we should be careful to just dispose of without a lot of thought and care and consideration um, because there's there's stuff there. All right, Colin McDonald. Colin McDonald, thank you. Uh, Colin McDonald writes a great quote by Seneca. Anger, if not restrained, is frequently more hurtful to us than the injury that provokes it. Yep, I totally agree with that. That is, that is great. It makes me think of that quote about how, I forget who said this, but, you know, anger is, is like taking a poison pill and hoping that the other person dies. Yeah, although I will say, anger is also, can also be a motivating factor in a positive way. Um, it can motivate you to stand up for justice, to stand up, and not actual justice, not social justice, but it, it can motivate you to defend your loved ones, to stand up for justice. It can motivate you to fight battles that need to be fought. Someone needs to fight. So anger can be channeled and used appropriately. It can also consume so. you and destroy your life. Yes. So. Uh, I have to go soon, but I want to read this one. Okay. Thank you, Scala Kitty. I think I haven't seen you before. I think you're new, maybe. Thank you very much. Uh, she says, I forgave someone for drugging and assaulting me in college. It allowed me to finally take my life back instead of holding resentment and guilt, which destroyed my mental health for years. I agree, Carrie. Yes, that's you. You get what I'm trying to say. That's the kind of forgiveness I'm talking about that I think is possible, but not easy. And I've been able to do it with some people in my life and with others. I'm still working on it. So but I think it would be a good thing for me to reach that with everyone yeah and I, the only by the way the only thing i would even push back at all i don't think i don't have any pushback with that at all i think it hinges on the word forgive because i would say that's that sounds positive and healing and and a good thing I, the word forgive probably needs to be teased out a little bit in order to have the philosophical level conversation we were trying to have before um c jones c jones C. Jones says, happy Friday, taking a break from my work, racial bias, equity training. <laughs> Much Jerry, love, wait, I have an idea. You might not like this. Yeah. What? I feel like we should put it, we should put together a website offering to do diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And yes. like, just, just put it out there and be like, we will come in and teach your organization how to, we'll teach them about anti-racism. Yeah. We'll teach them about diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And we can actually teach them about it, but we can teach them why it's, Wrong. Look, I've almost got, I'm going to have my certificate soon. I, and then Oh, are you taking this. that class? Yes, I'm totally on board with this. Let's do it. And I you guys and then you you may you can come and get if you have to take it from your workplace you can say, "Oh, I'm going to go outside. I found a better dye indoctrination <laughs> channel." Yeah, so if you feel like you have to you're like you're forced to bring it into your workplace, we'll we'll have a way to bring it in. <laughs> Like, look like you're bringing it in, and you'll bring it in, and people will be aware of it, uh, but it won't ruin your workplace. <laughs> Carrie, you're muted. Now Carrie's muted. It's the sound Is that the gods last today. Jesus. Okay. Thank you, guys. I'm going to have to go. I just have to check out of this hotel. But... Uh, and I know you might stick around, Carter, but I, I just wanted to quickly... We mentioned book club... 
if you want to find out more about it, go to our book club, play, book club page at unsafespace.com and you can see the books that we've read already and watch the videos and you can find out about the ones that are coming up. And if you want to support us financially, go to subscribestar.com and look for Unsafe Space or just go to our donate page at unsafespace.com. And thank you guys so Excellent. much for the conversation. Thank you, Carter. Thanks, Carrie. I won't, I won't be long, but uh, I will see okay. you on Monday. Have a good weekend. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. I won't stay long, guys, because I, uh, I don't like doing the shows without Carrie, unless it's like a plan. This is a thing I have to say. So um, not that I don't love talking to you. I do. I, I can answer super chats if you want, but I, I do enjoy having Carrie to bounce ideas off of. But there's a couple things I just wanted to cover, not really to even comment on them too much, but they're in the news, and I just kind of want people to be aware of them. Um, one thing we didn't talk about too much was uh, Aaron uh, Danielson's death in in portland so uh eric dan or eric aaron daniel aaron j danielson was um was killed in portland earlier i think was it this week or the end of last week i don't remember when remembers um and it's that video if you've seen it of the guy kind of like skateboarding by and then someone uh shoots him it's hard to see what's going on i watched the video a bunch of times i can't tell whether uh there was pepper spray first from someone or not. Like it's just very, very difficult to tell. But uh, regardless, the guy who allegedly uh, shot and killed Aaron is named uh, Michael Raynol, and uh, he was, I think, just today or last night or whatever. He was just killed by police. He fled Oregon. He uh, crossed the border into Washington. And uh, police confronted him. He had there was a warrant out for his arrest. And the last I heard is he fired on the police, like literally like 40 or 50 shots, they said, which seems uh, like quite a lot. And uh, and then obviously committed blue suicide. They they fired back and he's dead. Um, the, one of the interesting things to me, though, is Vice did a video interview with this guy. I'm not going to play it because we'll probably get it's like stealing someone's content and YouTube's pretty sensitive. Like they'll notice if we play too much of it. So I don't want to play the video, but you can go Ninja Kitty. will put the video in uh, Ninja Kitty. will put the video in, in, in the show notes. But um, someone says cops shot him after he resisted arrest. Yeah. Uh, you can call shooting at them resisting arrest. Yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, vice interviewed this guy According to Vice, he reached out to an independent reporter, did the interview with the reporter, and the reporter uh, contacted Vice and gave them the interview. Um, and the interesting thing, there are a couple of interesting things to me about this. You saw how the media treated Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, Kyle, we have video of him being chased by the mob. Yes, we can't actually see the first shot, right? But that's, you know, vague, but we see he was being chased. And then obviously he's being chased after that and hit over the head, hit with like, and then, and then fell, then hit while he was kicked while he was down, then hit over the head with a skateboard, um, then approached with a firearm. Um, and, and, uh, and the media, the media, you know, is having this conniption fit about anyone on the right suggesting that he has a right to defend himself. They're saying that even saying he has a right to defend himself is calling him a hero and blah, blah, blah. Um, and escalating violence. But then if you look at how this guy is treated, so he's he's in this interview, and I'm just going to quote a few things he says. He says, 
I had no choice. He basically, in the interview, basically admits to doing it. Um, he says, I had no choice. I mean, I had a choice. I could have sat there and watched them kill a friend of mine of color, but I wasn't going to do that. So he says this, and I expect then he's going to describe what happened. The guy, you know, pulled out a knife and tried to come at my friend, or the guy pulled out a gun and tried to shoot my friend, or the guy, whatever. I expected to him to describe why he was justified. He doesn't. He just says, I have no choice. I had to. He was going to kill my friend. How? No answer. Any details? Nothing. Nothing. No actual even story about how that was true. And then he says, he says, uh, he, a couple times he says, I have, I felt like I had no choice. I felt like I was in danger. And then he says something to me that's really fascinating. He says, uh, <laughs> he's talking about the Trump. So there was a Trump rally in Portland that preceded this shooting. And it was uh, mostly pickup trucks and, and American flags. And he says, every time I see a big truck, especially with a flag on it, I immediately think that they're out to get me. Okay? And his just so now I'm going to go back to one of his justifications. He says, I feel, he says, I felt that my life and other people around me's lives were in danger, and I felt like I had no choice but to do what I did. I take those two statements together, and I wonder... <laughs> you would feel that way, according to your own words, if a truck went by with an American flag on it. You just said, when you see the truck, you immediately think they're out to get you. So how does, what does he think about, he, he's, I, I'm sure in his head he felt justified by this. And, and I don't know details, maybe he was, for all I know, there was some initial attack. I can't, I can't tell. I know a lot of people are going to be mad that I'm not willing to say I'm certain that there wasn't an attack, but I can't see myself from the video. I, I can't. Um, but he sounds like he would be justified just by seeing someone as a Trump supporter. That would be enough for him to feel like his life was in danger and that he had no choice and he must do this. So uh, I thought that was weird. He says, I'm totally justified. Had I not acted, I am confident that my friend and, and I'm sure I would have been killed. Now, we, weirdly enough, this guy didn't have a gun. He did have a knife. He reportedly had a knife earlier in the day. Uh, when I say this guy, I mean the guy who was killed, Aaron. Um, Danielson. But I didn't near his body. There's a film of his body. There's no gun on. I didn't see a knife on his body. Uh, I, I saw the left claim that there was an ammo pouch, but that or that there was a holster, but that wasn't a holster. It was a pouch of some kind. I don't even know if it was an ammo pouch. Might have been an ammo pouch. But uh, he had no weapons that I could see. Um, again, not necessary. Not necessary if they're chase. You know, he might have just been trying to get into an uh, an altercation and doing something, but. It's weird to me that this guy is treated in the media as a reasonable person that should be interviewed and we're not going to outright call him a murderer and we're not going to throw our hands up and say, oh my God, terrorism. Uh, we're just going to treat him like he's, I don't know, innocent until proven guilty and do an interview with him. And uh, it's it's a little bit uh, frustrating. And then he says... Um, <clears throat> He says, what they've done is they're trying to make it look like we're all terrorists, and they're trying to make me look like a murderer. Uh, now, I picked up on the word we're all, the phrase we're all, and I was wondering, like, who is he talking about? Because he also claims to not be a member of Antifa, and he explains it this way. He says, 
They want to paint a picture of Antifa having major involvement. A lot of people don't understand what Antifa represents, and if you just look at the basic definition of it, it's just anti-fascist, and I'm 100% anti-fascist. I'm not a member of Antifa. I'm not a member of anything. Honestly, I hate to say it, but I see a civil war right around the corner. Now, and he said, by the way, that his shot felt like the beginning of a civil war. Um, this is the, by the way, I, I think it's rich that he's like, people just don't understand what Antifa represents. And his level of understanding is literally no deeper than he understands what the acronym, it's not an acronym, what the, uh, what the abbreviation is. He understands that Antifa means anti-fascist, and that's the end of his understanding. It's the most basic, moronic, childlike understanding of Antifa. And he says, a lot of people don't understand my deep level. I understand Antifa means anti-fascist. Mm, I'm so smart. <laughs> no, everyone gets that, dude. We also see what they actually do. I've read their book. Like, I've read the, their, <laughs> their, their manual. Like, we understand what they are, not what they say they are. Um, so it's, 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 it's weird kind of arrogance that like people don't understand Antifa just means anti-fascist. Like it's, it's, uh, it's really frustrating to have someone that dumb act like they know better about this than other people. And they're going to, they're going to explain it to you. It's just anti-fascist. Um, but the other thing that really, uh, struck me was he said, I'm not a member of Antifa. And that's probably true. I don't think Antifa functions. So this is the thing that we were talking about earlier. They don't function like this organization with top-down orders or even uh, even a lot of loose organizations together. Antifa really is just kind of an idea and a philosophy that is uh, prevalent everywhere. And you are a member of Antifa by showing up to protest with Antifa and being violent. That's what makes you a member. Like, Antifa is a movement. Antifa is an idea. Antifa is a set of behaviors. It's not, you don't get a carrying card, you're not a carrying card member of Antifa. Um, but anyway, this guy thought there was a civil war around the corner. He felt like his shot was the beginning of a war. Uh, he may be right about that. Um, and, uh, and then he went and then he went and committed blue suicide. So I didn't want to let the show go by without mentioning that that happened. And, um, you know, I don't have a lot other to say about it. I will say that we're, we're watching the, the digital gulag, as uh, Michael Ruchtenwald might call it, the, the digital gulag, we're, we're watching them, uh, we're watching them go to work here. So Twitter suspended Lynn Wood, um, Kyle Rittenhouse's mayor. Uh, someone in chat actually just said breaking news. Twitter and Facebook suspended Proud Boys, which I hadn't seen. So um, the big tech is actually absolutely going to bat here, picking sides. I don't know if you remember, but uh, people were getting suspended for saying anything positive about Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, lots of 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 stuff, lots of censorship over any kind of positive treatment of Rittenhouse. On the flip side. Uh, I don't think Vice is getting censored for having a conversation with this dude and not saying he's a murderer and a terrorist. Uh, so I guess those are the only other things I wanted to cover. Uh, I just wanted to, because they're in the news and we needed to talk about them. I don't have a lot else to say about them. Uh, so thank you guys for watching. And I don't think, I think I'm caught up on Super Chats. Um, Ninja Kitty or Beverly can tell me if I'm not, but I'm pretty sure I'm caught up on Super Chats. So I think we're good. 
thank you guys for supporting us. Um, like Carrie said, you can go to unsafespace.com slash donate. You can just like, share, and subscribe. And uh, I really appreciate you guys stick, sticking around and uh, having a conversation. And I love the chat. I love that you guys, I love that chat's active. And um, look forward to seeing you all again on Monday. Have a great weekend. And yeah, enjoy. It's going to be a heat wave out here on the West Coast. So uh, enjoy it if you're with me. Later. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. If you do not stop watching these videos while you can, there is a 99.1% chance that your name will be added to this list. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Just relax, the Marxist revolution will be mostly peaceful. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.